Welcome to the Travel Therapy Mentor Podcast, your number one source for travel therapy information and education, hosted by travel physical therapist duo Jared and Whitney. Join us every other week on Facebook Live to learn about a new travel therapy topic or listen to the replay right here on our podcast. If you're new to travel therapy and ready to get started, contact us to get connected with the travel therapy recruiters and companies we recommend by visiting TravelTherapyMentor.com slash recruiters. Again, that's TravelTherapyMentor.com slash recruiters. If you're ready to remove the guesswork and jumpstart your travel therapy career, let us teach you step-by-step everything you need to know to get started and to be financially successful as a traveler by enrolling in our comprehensive travel therapy course titled Becoming a Financially Successful Travel Therapist. You can visit TravelTherapyMentor.com course and use the discount code TRAVEL to save $150 on our course. Again, that's TravelTherapyMentor.com course and the discount code is TRAVEL. And if you're looking for the best way to get your CEUs online as a traveler who's always on the go, you can use our discount code to get the best rate on an annual MedBridge subscription, which is where we get all of our online CEUs. Use code FIFTHWHEELPT, that's F-I-F-T-H-W-H-E-E-L-P-T, for the discount, all one word. And last, if you're interested in getting started with credit card hacking to take advantage of free or low-cost travel like we do, check out our top credit card recommendations for travelers at TravelTherapyMentor.com credit. Again, that's TravelTherapyMentor.com credit. All right, and now on to this week's episode. Hey everyone. Hey guys. Welcome to another Travel Therapy Mentor video. Tonight we're gonna to be talking about uh, travel therapy pay and uh, basically how much the travel therapy company keeps of the bill rate. So what the travel traveler actually receives and how much of that the travel therapy company actually keeps. So this is probably our most requested video of all time. It's one that we've kind of uh, avoided making because it's complicated. I think by the end you guys will realize why we uh, why we've waited to do this. Um, it's also probably the question we've gotten the most often over the last few months behind only uh, questions about taxes because it's tax time. So we've gotten a ton of questions lately about taxes. But besides that, everyone asks us, you know, I'm getting this amount, the travel company's, you know, the bill rate is this amount. So the travel company is getting however much per week. And are they taking advantage of me? Are they keeping too much? We get that question all the time. So. This might be a little bit of a long video, but we're gonna try to explain everything that goes into this and why it's so complicated and nuanced. Um, so Whitney's gonna introduce us. And I'm gonna get this video shared in a few different groups. All right, hey everybody. For those that don't know us, my name is Whitney. And I'm Jared. And we're both traveling doctors of physical therapy. We're the faces behind Travel Therapy Mentor. I know a lot of you guys have probably watched our live videos in the past. We've been doing these live videos on Facebook for several years now. Um, this is actually probably the longest We've, we've gone between videos um, this last month because we're traveling in Latin America right now. We're currently in Peru. We've been traveling for about eight weeks um, and our internet access um, and Airbnb situations haven't been really ideal for us to do a lot of videos. Uh, we usually try to do them every other week or so. We used to do them every week, but we've done hundreds of videos over the years on all kinds of topics. As Jared said, we've never touched on this particular topic in the past, but we do get this question all the time. So we decided to put in some research. Um, we just actually put out an article talking about this topic, how much um, of the bill rate or how much of the compensation does the travel company keep versus how much they give the traveler. So if you guys have not read that article yet, I would highly recommend after watching this video that you also read the article. We will link to it as well in the comments. 
after the video so you guys can get a, a big picture um, of all these details we're gonna talk about. So Jared is gonna share the video in a few of the groups so that more people can join on with us live. I know a lot of you guys will also watch later on the replay or listen later when we upload the video to our podcast. So thanks to you guys that are watching live and those of you that will watch or listen later. If you are watching live, I see a bunch of you guys have already hopped on. We'd love if you'd say hi in the comments and let us know you're watching. Let us know how the video looks and also sound quality because every time we go to a new place, we don't really know how the Wi-Fi is gonna be. Yeah, we're in Lima, Peru, and I think our Wi-Fi should be pretty good, but yeah, let us know in the comments if you can hear us okay. Um, we'd love if you would tell us, are you a current traveler? Are you somebody who's thinking about getting into travel therapy, um, travel healthcare? Are you a nurse, a therapist? Let us know in the comments. Um, Nick says, looks and sounds fine. Thanks, Nick. Appreciate that. Um, hope you guys are doing okay. Hi, Danielle. Hi, Zanina. Hi, Nick. Hi, Anthony. Hey, Courtney. Hey, Roman. Hi, Charlie. Hi, Karen. Hi, Melissa. Hi, Allie. Thank you guys for joining in live. Hey, Danique. Hey, Brittany. Um, Brittany says, future traveler. Allie, Melissa, thinking about getting into travel. Awesome, guys. Keep letting us know in the comments there. Hey, Joey. Thanks for watching. Um, happy Sunday night to all of you guys. Hope you guys have had a good weekend, by the way. Um, we've been enjoying our time in Latin America. We've been to Mexico, uh, Guatemala, let's see, Colombia, and now Peru. And uh, we have another week and a half in Peru, and then we are heading to Costa Rica will be our last stop. So we were going home in just a couple weeks, but um, this trip has been amazing. For those of you guys that have followed us for a while, we tried to go to Latin America in 2020, and then we ended up having to cancel that whole trip. So it's been really awesome um, to be able to get back into traveling. It's been interesting, but yeah, we'll talk more about that kind of stuff later. But if you guys haven't been following along, um, I post a lot of our day-to-day -day pictures of our travels on our Instagram stories. So you guys can follow us on Instagram at Travel Therapy Mentor if you wanna see just like our current travels and what we're up to. Um, but yeah, let's dive into this topic a little bit deeper. So again, we're gonna be discussing how much of the compensation the travel company keeps versus how much they pay to the traveler. And the reason why we're, we're covering this, um, the biggest question that we get is, maybe somebody f happened to find out what's called the bill rate. Now you quite often don't know the bill rate as a traveler. The bill rate for those of you guys that are newer to travel healthcare is the amount that the facility pays the staffing company to employ you and also pay for all the additional costs that um, are required of getting a traveler there. So if you worked directly at a facility like a permanent employee um, or a PRN employee, you get a salary or like an hourly rate. You might get paid $50 an hour or whatever. Now, usually the amount, the bill rate that the facility pays the travel healthcare company is a lot higher than that. It might be $65 an hour, $75 an hour, $85 an hour. Um, now, what we're gonna get into talking about is what all has to come out of that bill rate before you can get paid as the traveler because there's a lot of fees associated with it, taxes, all kinds of stuff. Um, but basically, the reason why people have this question is as more information is available to us online, um, and as travelers kind of get deeper into understanding the nuances of travel healthcare, they start wondering like, wait a minute, the bill rate's a thing, right? Like, I wonder how much the staffing company is making off of us. Like, how much are they keeping and how much are they actually paying us? Um, it's a good question and we get it. We, we've asked the same question, um, but we just want to make sure that you guys are asking the right questions and looking at this the right way to better understand it. Yeah, it's only reasonable to wonder that. We had the same questions when we started 
and uh, we thought it was very simple. So, you know, I think probably everyone goes through this thought process of, okay, I'll find the travel company that keeps the lowest percentage of the bill rate so that I can make the most money and I'll take my contracts to them. I think everyone thinks that. Uh, we obviously thought that as well. And um, it, gets, it gets complicated once you start learning about all that goes into this and why they might be keeping a higher percentage. Um, you know, all the things that they pay out on your behalf that you don't even think about. So the more we've learned, the more nuanced it becomes. Um, we talked probably about two hours about making an outline for this video and how we were gonna approach it. And I think probably the easiest way to do it is to talk about four different numbers that uh, when someone asks how much is the travel company keeping, what percentage, four different numbers that they might be talking about because mm -hmm. there is a lot of different ways that you can look at that question. So the first one is... Well, and before we get into that, just a little bit more background um, of why we wanna break this down for you guys because a lot of us as employees don't necessarily know what all, all goes on behind the scenes. Um, and so if we've only ever had permanent jobs or only ever looked at like permanent salary jobs, we're like, well, we just get paid this amount and then that's just it. But it's a little bit more complicated than that. Um, so, you know, we just wanna make sure that you guys are framing the question the right way, looking at it the right way, um, and ultimately help you get to the root of like, am I being screwed over or not? Um, is the most important thing, right? And then we also have a lot of people that think, well, if the contract company is keeping so much of this money, like if the facility is willing to pay $85, well, then why don't I just work directly with the facility, right? Like, why don't I just cut out the middleman and work with the facility and then I'll get the whole $85. Um, but it's not quite that simple, unfortunately. Um, you know, we're not gonna go into too much detail about independent contracting, we've talked about that before, but it definitely is more complicated than that because if you do get that whole $85, then you have to pay all these additional costs and taxes and things on your own behalf instead of the travel company covering all that for you. But yeah, we'll get into talking about it. But we think that the most um, simplistic way to try to describe this would be to start from the top scenario where a lot of people do what we call like back of the envelope math. Yeah, and this is what we get uh, commonly. So probably once a week, someone will send us a message and they'll say, I found out the bill rate for my contract, uh, let's say it's $65 an hour. That means if you multiply 65 by 40, that means the travel company is getting uh, $2,600 a week That on my behalf. So me working 40 hours, the travel company gets paid $2,600 a week. My take home pay is only say 1650. And so what they're doing is they're taking the bill rate times 40, getting 2,600, dividing by what their take home pay is, and then they get a percentage. And that percentage they think is what I'm keeping, and then so the inverse of that, 100 minus that percentage, is what the travel company's keeping. So in that, that example, it might be 36% that it looks like the travel company's keeping. So we get this question, they'll say, I found out the bill rate, my travel company's keeping 36 or 40% of the bill rate, um, are they taking advantage of me? Yeah, they're like, that seems really high. They're like, yeah. I am the one, I'm the healthcare worker, I'm doing all the work every week, why is this company keeping 36% of the pay? Like, they should be passing more of that on to me, right? So this is the conclusion that a lot of people jump to. Now, taking a step back from that, if you're a newer healthcare traveler, you might be like, well, what's the bill rate? I don't know the bill rate for my contract. Am I supposed to know the bill rate? And we're gonna get into more detail about why you probably don't really need to know the bill rate. There, it just so happens that some travelers, once they learn a little bit more, they get curious about it because they think like, ha, if I can find out the bill rate, then I'll make sure that I'm not one of those stupid travelers that's getting screwed over. So I'm gonna ask my recruiter what the bill rate is. I'm gonna ask the person who interviews me. I'm gonna ask my manager. Or every now and then you just happen to find it out because maybe a manager says like, man, we're paying that company 90 bucks an hour to keep you here. 
Or one time Jared was at a facility and the front desk was like, uh, there's a letter with your name on it, here you go. And he opened it and it was actually a bill to the facility from the staffing company where they billed them and so we saw the bill rate, right? Yeah. And so if you're new to travel healthcare, no, you don't always know the bill rate, but sometimes you find it out and it leads to these questions, right? Yes. And it leads to these back of the envelope calculations of, ha, I found out a secret they didn't want me to know and now I realize I'm being screwed over. Yeah. So the ultimate question is like, are you being screwed over? So this example that I gave there, uh, $65 an hour bill rate, $16.50 or so, pay that is similar to what we've had in the past so that contract Whitney was talking about where I found out the bill rate it was similar to that um, so that's why I use those numbers but that could be even we've heard some people tell us that um, when they do that back of the envelope math they get numbers as high as 40 or even closer to 45 percent so that sounds like a ton of money that the travel company's keeping but now we'll get into some reasons why they're not actually keeping all of that money the mm -hmm. big the first thing the big reason why they're not keeping all that money is you can't compare your take-home pay to the gross amount that the travel company is receiving. Right. So you have to remember that your take-home pay is after all of the uh, taxes, state, federal, and payroll taxes are taken out of your paycheck. So that's that can be a significant amount depending on what your hourly pay is for that contract. Yeah. So if you wanted to run a slightly more accurate quick calculation, you could look at it in terms of your gross pay. Um, so sometimes when you're offered a contract, your recruiter will say the gross pay that you would make each week would be $2,000. And then after taxes are taken out on your paycheck, this is the amount you'll actually get, which is your net pay, right? Um, so a, more, a little bit more accurate comparison would be to compare your gross pay. So well, this would be the second number. So if you take your, your taxable hourly rate, you multiply by 40, and then you add in your stipends, that's your gross pay, right? And then you can also add in any reimbursements you got. Now that would be a second number that sometimes when people contact us and they say, I found this out, they've already done that. So they've taken their gross pay, they've added in reimbursements and they're saying, okay, of this amount, it looks like the travel company's keeping usually somewhere between 30 and 35% and that seems too high. So they're, they're, they're already taking into account the taxes that they're paying and also the reimbursements they got, which is smart, that's, that's right. But there are other fees also, fees and costs that the travel company is paying on your behalf, and also expenses that the travel company has. So that would be the second number, is if you take the gross pay, you add in your reimbursements, um, and then you divide that into the, the actual bill rate, so that number, the hourly amount times 40, that will give you a more accurate number, but it's still not that accurate. So right. We'll so in that example, if you were somebody who was making approximately $16.50 a week after taxes, your gross pay is probably going to be somewhere more like $18 to $18.50 a week. It's usually like maybe $20, $21 an hour times 40 hours plus your stipends. So say your gross pay was roughly $1,800 and then you also got a reimbursement for $500. You'd want to divide that out amongst the weeks. So let's say your gross and then maybe you got a couple other reimbursements. Let's say roughly your gross pay was more like $1,900 and the facility was paying a gross amount of 2600 so if you divided 1900 divided by 2600 then you would say oh i'm making about i'm keeping about 73% and then where is the other 27% going that might be a little closer estimate there of like 27% is going somewhere else to the company to whatever um, so that's slightly more accurate and that's probably a pretty typical amount that you would see if you ran the numbers yeah, for your Yeah, if you run contract. the numbers that way, it's probably gonna be somewhere in the range of 25 to 30% that the travel company looks like they're keeping. Mm -hmm. um, 
And for anyone, I know any experienced travelers in here, you already know reimbursements, what they might be, but uh, I know there are some people probably watching that don't know that, they're considering travel. So the reimbursements you might get on a contract would include license reimbursement. So when you pay for your license out of pocket and then you take a job in that state, most companies will reimburse you for that license. Another thing might be uh, drug tests. If you have to pay for that out of pocket, the travel company will reimburse you for that usually. PPD tests, uh, background checks, all of those things. So. You might get reimbursements for those. You also might get reimbursements for um, travel to and from your travel location. Sometimes it's just travel to, sometimes it's to and from. You might get say two or $300 for your uh, gas or whatever it costs you to get to the, the location. Yep, so as always, when we're beginning to look at these numbers, it's really important to not only take into account your weekly pay that you're getting, but your total compensation package that they've paid you. They've paid you for reimbursements, they paid you for other things. So definitely keep that in mind when you're looking, starting to look at these calculations and this big picture. Um, so we're gonna dig a little bit deeper. Before we go there, if anybody is already learning something from this, if you're appreciating that we're having this conversation, that we're talking about these things, we would love if you hit the thumbs up button, show us a little bit of love, leave a comment, let us know you're learning things. Um, we, are, we spent a lot of time trying to figure all this stuff out and find a way to bring it um, and make it presentable to you guys to make you understand, yeah, um, you or to help questions. you understand, I guess I mean, because it's, it's just not even that easy to understand. Um, and the other thing to point out here is, We've talked to dozens of recruiters, um, company managers, company owners, and to be honest, a lot of them don't even understand this. Like a lot of them don't even know what goes into the bill rate. They just plug numbers into a computer and they say, this is what it says I should pay you based on this bill rate, and my company has predetermined that. Yeah. Um, so it's super complicated. Yeah, it is complicated. Um so I would say now going, so those are the first two numbers that when people ask this question, that's usually what they're, they're asking about. And what I was gonna say before was, if you guys have any questions or none, if some of this isn't clear, feel free to ask those. We'll go through all the questions at the end. I know a lot of this can be confusing and you know that's why we waited to do this video. It's, it's kind of confusing. We'll do our best to explain it, but I know some of it is going to be confusing. So if you have questions, feel free to ask. We'll try to explain it further. Yep, so the first thing is, like we said, just to rehash, make sure that you're comparing apples to apples, not apples to oranges. Make sure you're comparing your gross pay to the gross pay that's being received, because the bill rate is a gross number. It's a pre-tax number, so you wanna always make sure you compare gross versus gross, not gross versus net, because then you'll be all kinds of confused, right? So we need to account for those taxes, which are the taxes that you pay. Um, in this first example. We also need to take into account your total compensation package, which includes any reimbursements or other things they paid you um, at the beginning or throughout the contract. Yeah, so now the third number that you might, uh, if someone's asking this question that they might be referring to, is how much does the company keep after all of the compensation that I receive is accounted for? Now this doesn't just include monetary compensation, this includes also benefits that the company pays on your behalf. And another way to put that is, what we're trying to say here is, um, just because it looks like when you run those numbers that the number is about 30% or 25%, that's not all profit. It's yeah. not all money that the company is keeping because they have additional costs that they account for that they're paying on your behalf. So there's additional things built into what the, the company will typically call like their margin, the amount they have to keep aside. But those costs are benefits that are being paid on your behalf after taxes. So other additional costs and benefits they're paying on the traveler's behalf. Yeah, so one of the big ones here is uh, payroll taxes that the company pays on your behalf. So a lot of people don't understand this. Um, I didn't understand this till probably five or six years ago. I still don't really understand it. Yeah, so payroll taxes <laughs> include Social Security and Medicare. 
So on your paycheck, that looks like 7.65% of your taxable pay uh, goes to those costs, those, uh, those taxes that are being basically held on your behalf until you get to retirement age. What most people don't understand is that the travel company also has to match that amount. So they pay the other half of those payroll taxes on your behalf. So that's going to the IRS um, in your name, essentially, for your retirement benefits. So that's another 7.65% that the travel company has to pay to um, the government. Yeah, to the government. So let me make sure I understand to make sure that they understand. So you're saying that if you were an independent contractor and you didn't work through a staffing company, you would have to pay the government about 15%? 15.3% is what uh, you pay for self-employment taxes. So However, if you work through a staffing company, what comes out on your paycheck is only 7%. It's only 7.65%. And then the company is paying the other 7.65%. Yes. So the company is not keeping that 7.5%, um, 7.65% yeah. in their in their pocket, they're paying it to the government on your behalf. Yeah, so if you work as an independent contractor, you pay 15.3% of your, uh, your total taxable pay to the government for Social Security and Medicare, and that's called self-employment taxes. Uh, what people don't usually understand is that you also pay that amount if you work through a, a company or you're a W-2 employee. It's just that they call them payroll taxes, and you only pay half, but your employer pays the other half. So it's still 15.3%, it's still the same, it's just that you're only paying half of it and your your employer is responsible for the other half. So they but take that's some still of for that, your benefits. They take some of that money from the bill rate to put towards taxes they pay on your behalf. Yeah. Got it. Yeah. So you have to factor that in. So when it looks like they're keeping twenty five to thirty percent or so, they're not actually keeping that amount because seven point six five percent of your taxable pay, remember it doesn't include stipends, is going to the IRS for your Social Security and Medicare benefits. Um, some other things they pay for is liability insurance. They pay for workers and comp, workers comp insurance in case you get hurt at work and you know you you have to file a workers comp claim. They have to pay a certain amount for insurance for that. Uh, they also pay uh, they subsidize a portion of your health insurance, and a lot of times they will subsidize this uh, portion of your health insurance whether or not you take the health insurance with the company. So they keep a percentage, and this does not just mean uh, doesn't mean just staffing companies. It's all employers do this. They keep a percentage of whatever their gross revenue is for their health insurance of their employees. So they're subsidizing a portion of your health insurance so that your premium is lower. But that's still to your benefit, right? So that means that your health insurance is lower. Um, what else? Yeah, because they get that group rate. So you know how yeah. if you do private insurance, it's so much more expensive, but when you work for a big company, um, it's subsidized because they get a group rate because they have all these employees, right? So we're not just talking about the amount, because every week you pay your premium, that comes out of your paycheck for your premium, but they're also behind the scenes um, paying some toward having that plan available for the company. So that's a cost that goes into their overhead is subsidizing part of the company's group plan of insurance. Yeah, now um, hopefully that makes sense. Then another thing that they pay for, which we didn't even understand this until probably a year or two ago. And we've this been is a little for, bit complicated. Yeah, we've been traveling for five years. Um, so I know that most travelers also don't understand this. Um, some contracts, not all contracts, but a lot of them, will not pay for your first however many hours of work that you do on that contract. They'll what do you mean the contract is the facility? The facility yeah. may say the the traveler isn't productive the first day or two because we're orienting them. And so some of the facilities don't actually pay the travel company for the first day or the first few hours. It might be four hours, it might be 16 hours, but they usually don't pay for a portion of the first day or two that you're there. And they say it's because you're getting oriented to the facility. 
Now, that, whether that's fair or not, uh, you know, we can debate that. But still, that's a cost that the travel company has to pay for basically on your behalf because they're still paying you for those hours, but they're not getting paid for those hours. So those orientation hours can be a significant portion of uh, you know, lost revenue basically for them, for the travel company. So they have to account for that throughout the whole 13 weeks of your contract. Uh, Let me tell you how we learned this. So the reason that we've learned a lot of these things over the years is we have a lot of conversations with company owners and uh, directors of therapy departments. For example, we work with one really small company that we work directly with the owner. He has about five employees. We also work with one huge company with thousands of employees and we talk to the director there and he explains to us how their company does things. A lot of the bigger companies keep extra money aside in what's called their margins and what's called their um, operating costs. So the percent that they take from every traveler's contract to keep aside, if you want to put it like this, for a rainy day, okay? And they use that to cover things like, say your contract isn't covering, you know, eight or 16 hours of orientation, but what they're going to do for you and what you're going to see on your paycheck is the same pay all 13 weeks. So they're just going to divide out that cost over the whole 13 weeks. Actually, they usually divide out that cost across all travelers in the company. They've made calculations so they don't get screwed. Now, what we learned from our um, friend who owns the company, and he, he will actually do it on a traveler by traveler basis. If there's a facility that says, hey, we're not going to pay the traveler for the first day. We're not going to pay you because we're, we're teaching them things. We're showing them things. They're not working. They're not creating revenue. Well, that um, recruiter, that company owner, he doesn't do that thing where he spreads it out and keeps it aside for a rainy day. He'll just tell that traveler, he has a conversation with them one-on-one and says, hey, this facility is not going to pay you for that first day. So for your first week, you're going to make $1,250. But for your second week, once we can start billing the facility correctly, you'll get paid your full $1,600. Well, sometimes travelers don't like to hear that. They're like, no, I'm not going to take 1200 the first week and then 1600 for the next 13 weeks or the next 12 weeks, right? Yeah. So as a small company, he's just looking at it like black and white, like, no, I'm only getting paid this amount for you for the first week, so I can only pay you this amount, right? The big companies just figured out, we don't want to deal with that. So we're just yeah. going to keep a little bit aside in what we call our margins to smooth it all out and even it all out across the board. This also applies for those companies that you guys work for that guarantee stipends. What that means is um, facilities, they pay them on an hourly basis. They bill the staffing company. They say, your traveler this week worked 36 hours, so we're going to pay you for 36 hours. Well, the staffing company is still paying you, the traveler, for your full 40 hours of stipends, right? Well, they didn't actually get paid from the facility, so what do they do? They take a little bit off the top of every single traveler's contract at the whole company, and they keep it aside in this bucket of money that they call guaranteed stipends. Now, our friend that owns the small company, he's like, no, if you, Whitney, at your job, didn't get your full hours, I'm not guaranteeing stipends, I'm just gonna pay you the actual amount the facility paid me. And then, but Jared, if you worked full 40 hours, then I'm gonna pay you the actual amount they paid you. So. There's a lot of stuff that goes on behind the scenes and it depends on how each company operates. But this is these are additional things that go into that bucket of money that they call the margins, this 25 to 35% that they keep aside. Yeah, so if you're working with a company that uh, say your contract has um, orientation hours that they don't pay you for and also you have guaranteed stipends, 
they're probably keeping, say, two to four percent of the total bill rate aside <laughs> in a basically a pot for everyone <coughs> if that's needed. So, um, you know, whether or not your contract has that, they'll have this money set aside that they can account for that because they have to make a profit no matter what. So instead of doing it on an individual contract basis, instead they just have, like Whitney said, what they call <coughs> a margin that they keep aside and then they use that to pay when these situations arise. So um, that is also basically on your behalf because if you're a traveler and you don't get all your hours and you have guaranteed stipends, you're like, great, this is awesome. And you love that, but the travel company's not getting paid for that and they can't just take a loss on that. So they have money set aside for that situation, right? Um, all the big companies pretty much do that. And so it might seem to you like, well, this company is really benevolent. They're just super nice. They just really care about their travelers and that's why they give us guaranteed stipends. No, they accounted for it in their margins. And so maybe you, you didn't really know that, but it's fine. You like having that guarantee. You like that company. You took the job with that company and you made about $16.50 a week and you were happy with that. And then every week you got your guaranteed stipends. However, if you had taken the contract with a different company, maybe you would have made slightly more a week. Maybe you would have made like $17.25 a week with the other company. But if a week came that you didn't get your full hours, you wouldn't have gotten those guaranteed stipends. So there's a give and take there, but you have to understand that each company operates a little bit differently and they might keep a slightly different margin or the amount that they keep um, out of your bill rate to account for all these things. Yeah, and one of the other smaller companies that we work with uh, the owner of that company calls this fancy marketing because that's that's essentially what it is. Mm -hmm. It's like the company is keeping a percentage of the bill rate to say that they can give you free things when obviously it's not nothing is ever free. Yeah, they still like have to make a profit, just like the small companies do, or um, you know whatever whatever other company is doing. They have to keep a profit, so they are uh, keeping aside money for these things that they call free. So uh, that also applies to things like vacation time or. Uh, Completion bonuses, some, some companies will say, oh, we'll give you a completion bonus on your contract. Some companies will say, we'll give you a student loan reimbursement after you work with us for a year. We'll give you 5,000 towards your student loans. Uh, that will suck some travelers in. They'll be like, oh, wow, 5,000, I'll stay with this company. Well, all they're doing is they're keeping that money a little bit from each bill rate, and then they're gonna give that to you at the end of the year. Uh, there's nothing, you know, they're not giving you money. There's no free money. There's no free money. They're just keeping it aside for you for later. So all of these things where they say they're giving you free things or guaranteeing things, they're, they're marketing tactics. And in some cases, you like those things. We like those things. We would rather have guaranteed stipends and have some guarantee, some certainty about our pay more than we would like to make the absolute highest money. And then if we don't work 40 hours or we have a situation where you know, um, a week is really short, then we don't make as much money. So we would rather it be more of a certainty than make the absolute highest, but have more risk. So it all depends on what you want. Another good example here of this keeping money in one bucket versus another is reimbursing for state licenses. And we learned this from working with different companies. So say we talk to a recruiter at company A about a job and they say, oh, this job's paying 1700 a week. And you're like, great, love it. Um, but I also need to be reimbursed for a license in that new state. Um, say it was North Carolina and we had never worked in North Carolina before and I just got the license and I want you to reimburse me and they say great we'll also reimburse you that $250 on top of your $1,700 a week. Now go over to company B same contract and they say we're gonna pay you $1,750 a week and we say great but I also need to get reimbursed for that license and they say oh well then let's recalculate because in order to pay you for that license I need to take a little bit off your weekly pay and and now I'm gonna pay you for the license but you're only gonna make 1700 a week and we're like oh, but why'd you take it out of my weekly pay 
this company B takes the reimbursement out of your bill rate for that facility for that contract. This company A has a bucket of money they keep aside in their margins for everybody for their, the contracts. In some cases, it, it makes you feel happier to know that your weekly pay didn't go down to get the license. However, if you didn't need the license, if it was in your home state and you already had the license there or whatever, then you would actually be making less with this company. Because they're um, still keeping a portion of your bill rate for everyone else's licenses. So there's give and take there. Um, but getting back a little bit to the main point of like what percentage do they keep? Now, going back to the top, we, we looked at, made sure we were comparing gross pay to gross pay. We looked at our total compensation that they were, they were giving us. They looked at our weekly pay, we looked at our reimbursements they were giving us. Now we also have to look at the additional costs that they pull out on our behalf. Things that they keep aside in the margins that benefit us, which included the payroll taxes they have to pay on our behalf, the credentialing and onboarding costs, the liability insurance, the workers' comp insurance, the subsidizing of our health insurance. Sometimes CEUs, sometimes companies will pay for CEUs or give you online access. They still have to pay for that, so that comes out of there as well. Yep, so that's coming out of there. Um, these rainy day buckets of money to pay for things like orientation hours or guaranteed hours, that's all being kept aside. Another now, thing to add to this too um, that we didn't mention is this includes things like COVID pay. So there's some companies right now that are guaranteeing pay if you test positive for COVID. That was much more of a thing obviously back in January, February when it was like, you know, everyone was testing positive. Um, but if a company is paying you for COVID, you know, they're not getting paid for those hours. So they're keeping that aside as well. So. Uh, just keep that in mind that that is another thing that they're setting aside in case this happens to you that they'll be able to pay you and still make a profit. So, so far, every single thing that we've talked about so far that has come out of the bill rate has not profited the company. Yeah. They are not keeping any of this stuff. They are not keeping payroll taxes. They are not keeping federal or state taxes. That money has gone away to the government. They are not keeping onboarding costs. That money has gone away to the background check people and to the drug test people. That money has gone away on your behalf to someone else. So they just took care of it for you and they had to keep some money from the bill rate to do that. This rainy day fund to cover onboarding costs, or I'm sorry, not onboarding, orientation costs and guaranteed hours and things. That's in a bucket of money over here on your behalf. It is not going in their pockets. Now, let's get to the next set of, of things that have to come out of the bill rate. What money is the company actually keeping? And it's important to know when you're talking about businesses, what's the difference between the word revenue and profit? Revenue includes how much money they bring in total before they pay their expenses, before they pay their employees, their electric bill, um, the operating costs to have their online computer systems and laptops and things like that. So the revenue um, now is kind of like what we're talking about when we're wondering what's fair. Like, is it a good idea to work with a big old staffing company that has a lot of bills and a lot of employees and has to keep a lot of revenue because that might take some more money out of our pocket, right? Um, but it's still not exactly talking about their profit. The profit is the amount that they're keeping as a business, like to make money in the bank in their own pockets, right? Yeah, so that third number, like I said, is after all of your compensation is accounted for, including benefits, everything they pay on your behalf, everything that they keep aside in their margin in case you need it, you know, contract cancellation, that you know they lose money on all of those things that they have to keep aside in case um, one more thing though that you have to account for that they don't actually at all have any control over is a vms or an msp fee and this can be and we'll explain this a little bit more i know this is complicated too i think we have a, a video on this whole video on msps and vmss um, i know we have an article on it um, but anyway this can be up to six percent of the bill rate that is paid out to a different third party 
that basically aggregates all the travel jobs and then sends a list of what's available to the travel companies. And let's say a traveler takes a job through one of the travel companies from that list, the travel company has to pay a percentage of the bill rate to that third party for the, the work that they provide in terms of aggregating all the jobs. It's like a database. It's so like a, database. a VMS or an MSP is basically a database of jobs that they have to have like a subscription to basically. They have to ha subscribe to it. Otherwise, every single staffing company would have to have a one-to-one -one relationship with every hospital and every clinic and every skilled nursing and every yeah. school it's that you want to look at. It's not, it doesn't make sense. It's just not going to happen. Those are called well, direct clients. And think about it this way. If you were a facility that needed a traveler, would you want to go to, there's over 200 companies that staff therapists. Would you want to go to all of those companies and say, hey, uh, do you have any therapists that might want to work here? Hey, you do that 200 times. Or would you rather go to one person and say, I need a therapist to fill this job. Send me the best candidates that you have. Basically, that's what the VMS or the MSP does. They take uh, they take this need from a, a, a facility. So the, the facility's point of contact is this VMS. They say, I'm going to accept any applicants from any travel company. I'll look at them and I'll present the best ones only to this facility. So it saves the facility time. The VMS is basically a middleman that uh, you know aggregates everything and makes it easier on the facility. And uh, you know it's just not realistic for a facility to talk to every travel company. So basically, that's what a VMS does. Yep. So they collect a fee quite often, and a lot of the jobs that we look at as travelers go through these VMSs, and so the staffing company has to pay a fee. They don't want to pay the fee. Yeah. They're not keeping it. It has nothing to do with their revenue. It has nothing to do with their profit. They had to pay a fee as an additional operating cost to get you access to that job. So now that comes off the top of the bill rate too, and that can be five to six percent of the bill rate. And a large percentage of jobs. You might be wondering, like how. How many actually do this? How many have individual relationships with uh, staffing companies and how many go through a VMS? Probably 80 to 90 percent are going through a VMS or an MSP, which means that most jobs are paying this fee. Most travel companies are paying this five or six percent fee um, that you never even know about to this VMS uh, that they don't benefit from and you don't benefit from, except for it makes the process easier. So we're going to get into more of that when we get to, once we get done talking about all the costs, we're gonna talk about what can you do about it, right? Because that's what you really wanna know is like, what can I do to mitigate some of these costs? Like, how do I keep the most money in my pocket? And we'll get into talking about that. So, if you account for all of that, all of the compensation, all the VMS fees, everything that they, the travel company has to pay, so still, at this point, they have profited nothing. They've not paid for any of their expenses. This is all just stuff that is um, basically being paid out on your behalf to make sure that you get the job, your credentialing, all of that stuff, your reimbursements. Um, that is, uh, I would say, most staffing companies, that's what they talk about in terms of how much do they actually keep. And that is normally somewhere in the 15 to 25% range. This is where it also gets really tricky, guys. Um, talking about like the transparency, you know, I think the bottom line is like we all just want there to be more transparency. We want to know that we're getting the best deal possible. And so it leads some experienced travelers to start asking questions of their recruiter. They'll go to their recruiter and they'll say, what's the bill rate for this job? Or they'll say, hey, as what margin do you keep? What margin do you keep? So this is what sometimes people um, savvy travelers will be like, I'm gonna I'm gonna only pick the companies that keep low margins. So I'm yeah. gonna go to my recruiter and I'm gonna say, what margin do you keep? Now, the the question is valid, but the answer you get, who knows when you're comparing um, one company to another, who knows exactly what number yeah, which they're of these mentioning. numbers they're talking about. Because, well, one, the recruiter might not have 
idea. They might just have some meeting that they had with some manager that said like, if the therapist asks you that, just say like 15%, because after all of these other costs and taxes and fees and things we pay on their behalf, we only keep about 15 to 20%, right? But maybe they're not talking about that. Maybe they're talking about some other number within this convoluted mess. So it's extremely difficult to compare by asking that question. Very difficult because- And a lot of times about... they just won't even know. Like yeah. they really might not even know. They may be like, I don't know, I plug it into the computer. Like, I and don't- that's, that's the majority of recruiters. They, they have the software that they plug things into. It tells them what margin they should be in between. They don't know what goes into all that. It's just a, a computer program, right? Um, but so it gets if, very complicated. But you might, a, a pretty good estimate would be if we started at the top and you compared those numbers, gross numbers, that might look like about 30 to 35%, um, not taking into account costs and all that. But we would say more typically, once we get down to after all the costs and stuff, what actual like revenue the company keeps is probably going to be more in like the 15 to 25% range is what we've typically heard. Yeah. Um, okay. So. Now we're getting to basically the fourth number. So what all goes into this number of the actual profit, right? That the travel company keeps. So let's say that third number, they're keeping 15 to 25% of that. Why are they keeping that amount, right? That's what most travelers want to know. And is it fair? Like, is it fair? Should they be is keeping it too that much? Um, so what expenses would a travel company have after they've all paid all that stuff on your behalf? Uh, you got all your benefits, health insurance, everything. Taxes, all that. Taxes. What expenses will they have? Well, there's a lot of expenses that they have. Um, they have to pay for any buildings that they have. They have to pay their recruiters. They have to pay HR. They have to pay- um, The payroll department, payroll, marketing. Accounting. Uh, they pay for lawyers in case there's any legal issues that come up. Um, what else? They pay for any um, software that they need. So like I mentioned, like they have to have their laptops, obviously, and they have to have the software that they run their systems on. Um, they also pay marketing. So any uh, things like going to conferences, sending travelers swag, uh, you know, they might send out like backpacks or water bottles. Social or media marketing, things like that. So this is one area, again, when we get into talking about, well, how can I keep the most money? Obviously, if you work with a bigger company, they're gonna have more expenses than a smaller company. So that might be somewhere there where you might wanna actually compare to see if you can work with a company that has less expenses, a smaller company, um, that keeps lower margins because they don't have as many expenses, right? Um, so after the company has paid all their expenses, now they keep a profit because they want to stay in business, like the CEO and, and everybody wants this to be a profitable company, right? So once you really get rid of all those costs that they paid on your behalf, all the taxes, all the things they set aside for you, and then you get rid of their expenses, they paid all their employees, they paid for all their gear and equipment and offices and stuff, it's probably really more like less than 10%, like five yeah. to, 10% that these companies are actually keeping as a profit. Yeah, it's really not that much um, compared to what you might think it is if you do that back of the envelope math. So you might uh, do that first calculation we talked about and come up with, oh, the travel company's keeping 42% of my pay. This is way too much. And you're outraged because you're, outraged. you're like, I'm doing the work. Why are they keeping 40%? Like I could just work with the hospital and keep 100% instead of keep 60%. Yeah. But as we mentioned, not so fast because a lot because basically if you were to cut out the middleman, now we're going to get into talking about like what can we do to make the most money, right? If you were to cut out the middleman, the staffing company, basically you're only cutting out that bottom two numbers of the their revenue and their profit. Um, 
because you wouldn't have to pay somebody to do all that stuff for you. You would do it yourself, but you would still have to pay all your taxes and do all your liability insurance and do all these other things um, and pay all these extra fees on your own behalf in addition to having the headache and the knowledge and the hassle of, of doing all those things that you may not even know about, like credentialing and onboarding, like you may not even be aware of how to do all that stuff. So you would have to do a lot of research to figure out how to do all, thing, all those things. Um, in addition to that, if you work as an independent contractor directly with the hospital to be like a 1099 employee, you don't have any of those added benefits or protections that the staffing companies have built in for you. You may also not have access to some of the jobs. You're going to have to go and try to build direct relationships to find the jobs because you may not have that VMS or that MSP to find the jobs for you. So um, you would definitely cut out some of this middleman cost, but you certainly wouldn't keep that whole what you're considering the 100%. Yeah. Um, you wouldn't certainly wouldn't cut out 40% of the fees. You might cut out 10 to 20% of the, the bill rate costs or whatever. Yeah. Um, but so realistically, most travel companies are keeping between 5 and 10% as their actual profit. So when you account for all of that stuff, it seems like they're keeping a ton. They're really not keeping that much, 5 to 10%. And in our opinion, that's reasonable for the work that they do. They, you know, they pay for access to the VMS on our behalf so that they have access to a ton of jobs. They present us with a job so we don't have to do it ourselves. We don't have to write our own contracts. Um, we have a lot more protections if, say, another thing that, that we didn't mention, um, I know this goes on forever is that sometimes facilities don't pay their bills to the travel company. It might be that they pay monthly and they might have three travelers there and the facility might owe the travel company $30,000 and they just say, oh, sorry, we can't pay that right now. The travel company still pays you. you never, your paycheck is never impacted by that. But we've had several situations now where we're close with the owners of some of these staffing companies that say, I had this client, they owed us $40,000 and they just never paid it. And yeah, they can sue that, that facility, but then they have to pay legal fees to try to get the money, and that's a huge headache. So there's so many things that go into this, and it's very nuanced, and uh, it's definitely just not the simple back of the envelope math. And um, so when someone asks us the question, how much does a travel company keep, or I did this math, it looks like they're keeping 40%, it's not that simple, and it's a difficult answer. A lot of times we give a very short answer because we really can't type <laughs> everything that goes into it. Well, we did just type this th over 3,000 word article that goes into all this in detail. I would highly encourage you guys to read it because it um, explains everything that we tried to talk about in, in more detail. Um, so we'll be sending that article out when people ask us that question in the future. Yeah, we do in this video. We do want to get into talking more about like what can we do to try to keep the most money in our pockets? What are the next steps after being armed with this knowledge? Um, but if you have any questions while we're getting into that part, type them in the comments. If you have learned anything, if you've appreciated this video, hit the thumbs up button. We really appreciate it. Yeah, I'm sorry about all the numbers. I know it's confusing, but this whole situation. I think the article makes it a little bit clearer because you, you can see it in black and white. Yeah, it's it's over 3,000 word article. It's probably the longest article we've ever written. So <laughs> check that out. If, if this doesn't make sense, that might help a little bit to see it written out. Yeah. So as we've covered here, um, it's not simple. There's a lot of costs that go into all of this. And there's a lot of it that's out of our control. Because I really think that the, the root reason why a lot of people even bring up this topic, even start their mind down this path, is they just want to make the most money possible. And they just want to make sure that they're not getting taken advantage of by what they might often consider like an unnecessary middleman. One point I would like to just reiterate is, in our opinion, staffing companies are not an unnecessary middleman. In our opinion, they provide an extremely valuable service and 
it is important that they have operating costs in order to provide that service and it is important that they make a profit. Um, now, how much is fair for them to keep it is arguable um, and we mostly just want to mitigate that we're not being taken advantage of, that they're not taking too much, right? So one way you can do that is, like I said, if you would prefer to become a 1099 independent contractor, you can recoup some of those costs, but you will have a lot of added responsibilities. You will have to learn a lot. You will have to do a lot of this stuff on your own rather than have the staffing company do it for you. We do know people that do that and they enjoy it. Um, and that maybe they're more business minded. They're okay with negotiating their own contracts. They figure it out. That's awesome. But personally, that's not us. And we do know that there's a ton of healthcare providers out there that have no interest in being an independent contractor. They have no interest in being a business owner. They want to be a therapist. They want to be a nurse. They want to be a healthcare provider. They just want that stuff taken care of for well, them. Well, and, and also on top of that, a lot of times it's not as financially um, beneficial as you might think it would be. Uh, I ran the numbers. I obviously, you know, a lot of you guys know that I'm very financially minded. So I thought about this a lot, thought, okay, let's take 1099 contracts, cut out the travel company. It'll be way better. Uh, we wrote about this. We made a video about this. If you want uh, us to link to the, the article, comment below, independent contractor, we'll send that to you. But it's not as financially lucrative as most people think it is because of all these additional fees and things that we talked about. Um, and, and also because stipends are something that the travel company pays you. If you're a 10, 1099 employee, you can write off expenses, but it's a lot more difficult to pay yourself stipends as a, uh, a 1099 employee. So a lot of times you come out ahead, financially even, or close, as uh, working through a staffing company as you do a 1099 employee, which sounds crazy, but if you read the article, I uh, kind of laid out all the numbers there. Yep, so that's one option. But putting that option aside and deciding that um, the rest of us would like to continue to work through staffing companies, how can we try to make the most money possible? One factor we can look at here is the possibility of going through a bigger versus a smaller staffing company, because theoretically, the smaller staffing company would keep lower margins, they would have lower overhead costs, they would pass on more of that savings to you as the traveler. And we do see this sometimes. We see quite often some of the smaller companies will pay higher on certain contracts. And those costs, what might they be? They might be that they don't have to pay for big buildings. They might not have to pay for as many managers and things like that because they just, you know, maybe they, they just have employees. a few recruiters and they don't have to pay as much money out to payroll and, and all that. So their expenses are going to be a little bit less there, but not always are you going to make more with smaller companies. Mm -hmm. So there's a give and take with small versus big companies, right? So one of those give and takes is those VMS jobs that we talked about. So a lot of times some of the bigger companies may actually own their own MSPs or their own VMSs and they may not have to pay those fees. Yeah. So some of the big companies are MSPs themselves. And what that means is they get, they are, they basically get preferential access to some of these jobs. And that is a lot of times why the bigger companies have access to more numbers of jobs. So you might, if you've watched any of our job market updates, big companies always have more jobs than small companies. Why? Because they have preferential access to some of these facilities that go directly to this company and they say, hey, we need someone to fill this position. They say the, uh, the staffing company that they go through, that's the MSP, they'll try to fill it internally first. So they'll go through their own travelers, they'll try to get that job filled. If it doesn't fill in a certain amount of time, say five days, seven days, they'll open it up to other travel companies and they'll say, hey, we've got this job. If you've got a traveler that fits for this job, you can take it, but you have to give us 4% or 5%. So sometimes these smaller companies are paying a fee to the bigger company, whether or not you're actually taking the job through the bigger company. 
So if you take that same job directly through the big company, you might actually make more money through the big company because they don't have to pay that fee that the small company has to pay, if that makes any sense. Additionally, some of these big companies, they go around buying small companies. They buy small companies and then now they have access to that small company's jobs and that small company's jobs and that small company's jobs. Whereas if someone just goes out and starts their own recruiting company, they're a small um, startup, it's just one owner and like one other recruiter and one payroll person or whatever, they now have to build all these new relationships. So they may only have access to certain jobs as what we call direct clients. Um, whereas these big companies may have bought a bunch of small companies and now they have a ton of jobs. So there's a give and take with working with big and small companies. Again, there's also a give and take with taking a job directly or taking a job through VMS. So I will say if you have a small company and they have some direct clients, you're probably gonna make the highest yes. dollar if you have a good relationship with a small company and they're transparent with you when they're submitting you to jobs, they might be able to say, hey, this is a direct client of ours. We don't have to pay any fees on top of it. That way we can pay you a little bit more. You're gonna make bank on this contract. That's where you're, you're probably gonna be really uh, well off there. But again, there's also some additional intangible things here when you're working with big and small companies. Some of those things are like those benefits we talked about. Yeah, so big companies often are the only ones, and sometimes only one or two big companies are the ones that offer like guaranteed stipends. So small mm -hmm. companies might not offer that. The big company might pay you a little bit less, but then you have less risk if you don't get your full hours or something like that. So the small company might say, hey, um, I'll pay you higher, but you know, if you don't get your full hours, well, we're not gonna pay you for that. Whereas mm -hmm. the big company might say, um, I'll, I'll pay you a little bit less, but you have this guarantee of getting paid however many hours you work, as long as it's the facility's responsibility that you didn't get your full hours. So mm -hmm. guaranteed stipends, guaranteed hours are a big thing that big companies offer that we almost never see smaller companies offering. Yeah. So as you can see, there's a lot that goes into choosing like which company is right for you. And that's why I think it's really important like as you move forward as a traveler, talking to multiple different companies and determining what feels best to you, what you like, because there are certain people who really like to have these guarantees um, and things like that. But to be honest, if you're a new traveler, I don't think that you need to talk to the, the owner of the company for 90 minutes on the phone and ask them every single one of these questions that we've talked about. I really don't think that you need to nitpick it to that extent. What we have always recommended and what we have always done ourselves is we have maintained communication throughout our time as travelers with multiple companies and we just compare offers. But what I wanna point out here is it's really important to get connected with some recruiters and some companies that have been recommended you, to you by someone else, someone who already has prior experience with them and can vouch for them. And that's a lot of what, we've, what we have tried to do over our years with Travel Therapy Mentor is do some of that legwork for you guys to pick out some companies that we feel like are reliable and trustworthy, some recruiters that we like. Um, and so then if we recommend them to you, you at least know that we're vouching for them, that we think they're pretty good. Then from there, that removes part of that layer of worry that you have. Because ultimately, you, you just wanna make sure you're not getting screwed over, right? And you don't necessarily, if you find a recruiter that's really good, that's trustworthy, that's been recommended to you by an experienced traveler, it removes some of that doubt. So now you, you go into it with a lens of, this person is being honest with me, this person is being transparent with me, let's move forward and I'll just see what offers they have. And if the offer sounds good, I don't have to grill them and, and try to find out if they're lying or try to find out if they're keeping too much. We never do that. We don't, we trust all of our recruiters because we've built strong relationships with them. So if I say, is that the best you can offer for this job? I believe them when they say, yes, that's the best I can offer for this job. 
but wait, maybe that's just the best their company can offer because behind the scenes I know, well, maybe they're just keeping, that company is a bigger company, maybe they do keep a larger margin. So if this recruiter A says, that's the best I can do, I don't think that there's some hidden um, malintent in there where they're keeping extra aside to make more money off me. It's just in behind the scenes, I'm like, oh, they probably just have a higher margin. Yeah. Um, whereas, you know, I might compare an offer with a smaller company. And if that job works better for me and it's a better rate, I might take it that time. But also I might take the one that's a little bit lower rate because I might realize there's some other benefits with this other company. Yeah. So one other thing to add here, um, some travelers will contact us and they'll say, I asked my recruiter for the bill rate on this contract and they said they don't want to give it to me. Is that a red flag? Or, you know, we'll see this in different Facebook groups all the time. People say, ask for the bill rate, they didn't give it to me. My opinion on this has changed significantly. And a lot of things, the more we learn, uh, I realize that what I used to think was ignorant. I didn't understand. If I was a recruiter, I probably would not tell most travelers the bill rate. And I'm a traveler, right? I'm not on the recruiter side. I'm saying that, and uh, the reason I say that is because it's a lot of hassle. So let's say I tell the traveler that same situation, the bill rate's 65, we're paying you 1650. I know that most travelers don't understand how all this works because it's complicated. Probably 99% of travelers don't understand. So the recruiter knows that most of those travelers are just doing back the envelope math and they're gonna say, sounds like you're keeping too much, I want more money. When in reality, they're probably not keeping too much. Maybe they're keeping uh, you know, a 20% margin or whatever, 18% margin based on all the things paid out to you, that third number we talked about. Um, maybe that's not at all out of the range of what they normally keep and they know that. So a lot of recruiters won't tell you that number because they don't wanna have this whole conversation of like, well, don't forget we pay taxes on your behalf. Don't forget we pay for your liability insurance. Like it's easier to just say like, this is what we can pay you for this job. If you wanna take it, if it sounds good, take it. If you don't, talk to a different company. You know, you can take a job through a different company. It's not, it's not the end of the world to me. And most really good recruiters will say that stuff to you because they've got a ton of travelers already. It's not a huge deal to them if you take a job through a different recruiter. They'll say, you know, I don't wanna deal with all the hassle of someone that's going to grill me about every single job and ask what the bill rate is and say, why aren't you paying me more? Instead, go with a different company. It's not a big deal to me. Um, really in the ones- In addition to that, in addition to them, you know, having that in mind, they also have in mind that if they give you the best rate up front um, and continue to do that, you'll continue to want to take contracts with them. So they, it's really in their best interest to give you the best rate. Yeah. Um, so I think a lot of people go into travel healthcare with this impression that the recruiter is just some evil person who's out to keep the most money possible. When in reality, most of them, most companies, it actually doesn't have a direct impact on their pay at all, what you make. Um, in addition to that, they know that if, you know, they want to keep your business long term. So if they continue to give you lowball offers and you continue to take jobs with other companies, that's not in their best interest. Yeah. They want you to take the jobs with them and they want to build your trust and they want to keep you as a long term traveler. So it's in their best interest to be transparent and honest with you. Almost every good recruiter we've ever talked to wants to take the lowest margin possible because it doesn't really affect their pay. They want you to stay with them long term. The only thing it might affect is if they take too low of a margin too often, 
it might uh, be something that the recruiter or the manager says like, hey, you're not you're not getting enough for these contracts. We need you to get a little bit more. Yeah, there's so, a little underlying that like part of their job is, yeah. to, is to make money for the company, yes. right? But they usually have like a little bit of wiggle room and they'll try to give you the best offer they can. Yeah, so almost every, every good recruiter we know of that they want long-term relationships with travelers. They want the traveler to feel like they're getting a de good deal on every contract so that they keep working with them. They're gonna make way more off of a traveler that works with them for two years straight than really taking advantage of a traveler one contract and then the traveler realizes they talk to somebody like us and they say oh wow i was taking advantage of i'm gonna go with a different company they don't make as much money with that they they and plus it's more hassle for them because they have to constantly bring in new travelers they would have rather they would rather have recurring travelers that um, you know they're happy with the situation they're going to uh, they already know how everything works they want to have that so most good recruiters want to have relationships over just making the very most they can off of one contract so the bottom line is the question, how do I know if I'm being taken advantage of? Unfortunately, you don't. You don't. Unfortunately, there's no way to know for sure that because you're not being taken advantage of. Let's say you're working with a recruiter that does tell you the bill rate. They might say, hey, we're getting paid $60 an hour on this and we're paying you $16.50. That's really good. We're only keeping a small percentage. They might actually be getting paid $70. You have no clue. Well, there's you're that. There's, there's that. There's that. You're not going to ever see the behind-the-scenes contract between the travel company and the facility. You will never see that. Well, so they unless can, you get it at your office like you did. Yeah, yeah. In that situation, you might. <laughs> Super rare. But the, the travel company is never going to show you that information. So they, the recruiter could always just lie to you, make it sound like they're keeping a really small percentage, when in reality, they could be keeping a, a large percentage. There's that. But then there's just also, again, all this behind-the-scenes stuff where you're not going to sit down and ask that recruiter to tell you what was the percentage of the you know the, for the payroll? How much did you pay for that? And um, what did you pay for my liability insurance? And what did you? You're not going to do all that math. You just need to have some faith in the company that you're choosing to work with. And basically, the only way you can do that is to go off experience of other people. If you just Google travel therapy company and just click the first one that comes up and click the first recruiter, it might be their first week. They might not know what they're doing. We've seen some recruiters who are brand new come and go. We've also, obviously everybody has to start somewhere, right? So all the best recruiters were new at some point. However, there are some that if they haven't been there very long, they could just be in recruiting because they think it's a sales job because they think they can make good money. And they might get in for six months and just try to make a bunch of money and then they might leave and never be a recruiter again. Yep. So it's not really ideal to just go with a recruiter who's brand new, who has Definitely no references, no recommendations from another traveler, because we don't know yet if that recruiter is going to be a good recruiter or not. There's, there's also a ton of turnover in recruiting. And the, the longer we talk to recruiters and talk to managers, the more we, we see this, like probably I would say 50% of people that start uh, as a recruiter within the first year leave. It's, it's very high turnover. Yep. So. Um, if you can go with someone that has, uh, has some experience and is recommended to you, you have a much better chance of getting, getting in a good situation. Yeah, so our bottom line recommendation to you as experienced travelers is to take the recommendations from experienced travelers like us or ex other experienced travelers that you know that have had good relationships and good experience with certain recruiters at certain companies. But on top of that, you need to be working with about three recruiters. You need to be comparing offers because you may have the most wonderful, most honest, most transparent, most helpful recruiter, but maybe their company just happens to keep a larger margin and that is something that's out of their control. Yeah. And you're not gonna know that by asking them, do you keep a large margin? Because they're probably not gonna say that. They're not gonna be like, oh yeah, we keep a huge margin. You they don't, you don't wanna work that. with us. Yeah. They're not gonna say that. What you're, the only way you're gonna learn is by comparing offers, not just the first contract, every contract. 
it might be completely different when it's like this this 13 weeks you're looking for an outpatient job in north carolina next job you're looking for a hospital in california the only way that we've learned which companies pay tend to pay more or have benefits that we like a little bit more than others is by working with them for multiple years and comparing offers every job search we've been doing this for seven years we're right now currently looking for job offers in alaska and we're talking to several of our recruiters we are asking them for their offers and comparing them i don't have my mind made up about who i'm going to take the job with it just depends on who has that best offer at that best time so the best way that you can mitigate risk as a traveler work with recommended recruiters work with multiple recruiters we recommend having one or two at a small company one or two at a big company because there's pros and cons to working with big and small there's no black and white answer of like you should absolutely work with this company because they're the best there's not one best company because it depends on what benefits you want what jobs you want what they have available and all that yeah and last thing i'll say on this is that's the reason we have our recruiter request form and we ask a bunch of questions because We've got about a dozen companies now that we send people to, and it's not the same for everyone. Uh, you know, we've got best friends that will send us um, forms that have they're looking for different things. We send them to completely different companies. It all depends on what you're looking for, what benefits you need. Um, if you know, if you're looking for absolute highest pay, if you if you're someone that might need, um, you want more certainty, less risk, and in terms of your job search, things like that. So there's a ton of different things that go into finding a company, finding a good recruiter, it's not not simple. And yeah. the more we learn, the more we stay in this industry, uh, the more we understand that. And honestly, if you're a newer traveler or somebody who has not started traveling yet and you're watching this and you're like, I don't know what benefits I want, it's okay. Yeah. We didn't know anything when we started and it's fine. We, d- we do try to educate now with Travel Therapy Mentor to give you guys the best tools in your toolbox, but it's fine. Like just get out there, just take a contract and then if once that contract, that 13 weeks is up, you will have learned so much about the process. You will have learned which benefits you liked having, which benefits you wished you would have had. You will learn questions to ask next go round. You might not have made the most money on that first contract. It's fine. Like, don't worry about having everything just right the first contract. Like, you'll learn as you go. And then maybe next time you add a fourth recruiter into the lineup and you start asking them some questions like, you know, last contract I had this thing, but I didn't like it. Does your company do that? And then you'll learn more. It's just a process. Yeah. Most people that contact us, they don't even know the questions to ask. They're mm-hmm. asking, like, am I being taken advantage of? But they don't even know all the things that go into what even might constitute being taken advantage of. So <laughs> they don't even know what to ask us. And, and that's normal. I mean, that's everyone totally starts fine. in the same position. Absolutely. So it's okay to make some of those, what we might call beginner mistakes. Like you're just going to learn as you go along. And to be honest, like we could talk to another traveler who's also been doing this as long as we have, and they might have some reason that they like some other company way better than we do. And we might yeah. be like, that's cool. Like that, this company works really well for us. So every traveler is different. All right, so that was uh, over an hour of rambling now. Yeah. About, uh, about uh, I hope it's clear as mud at this point. Yeah. So let us know in the comments if you learned something from this, if it makes more sense. Um, hit the thumbs up button if you appreciated it. Um, ask us any questions that you have. We'll go through the questions that are in the live comments. Also, if you happen to watch later on the replay, we will answer your questions as well. Um, feel free to send us a private message if you want to talk about it more, but I would highly recommend that after watching this video or listening that you go and read the article too because I think that'll help solidify this topic a little bit better for you. Yeah, and if you take nothing else away from this, just take away the fact that it's complicated. It's, it's nuanced, it's not an easy answer. Um, Every time someone asks us this, it's uh, it's a long answer explaining like, okay, well, is it through a VMS? Uh, do, does your company pay, or does the facility that you're working through 
do they pay for orientation hours or is this something where they're not gonna pay for the first 16 hours? And after those two questions, most travelers are like, I have no idea. And, and I think the important takeaway message here too is just be a little bit more humble in realizing that this stuff is complicated, yeah. in realizing that these are some of these staffing companies are multi-million dollar, billion public, dollar, publicly traded companies. They've done a, they've done a lot of research to do what they do in their trade and provide the service they provide. And it's not so black and white of just company bad, company good, company taking advantage of me. And I think so many people like social media can be such a toxic place because unfortunately we see a lot of these threads of companies taking advantage of me. I found out the bill rate and they're just keeping way too much money and I'm getting screwed over and I'm the one doing all the work. And I think that we need to just take a step back and be a little bit more humble and realize there's a lot more that goes into it than that. And most likely you're probably not being taken advantage of. It's possible, you could be, but there's just a lot more detail that goes into it, you know? Last thing before we get into questions, I wanna mention this, Whitney reminded me of this. Um, remember too, that any group, including our groups um, that you go into, if you give your situation, you say, hey, this is what I'm making, this is what the bill rate is, am I being taken advantage of? I can guarantee you, that 90%, probably even more, maybe 100% of the comments will say, yes, you're being taken advantage of, no matter what the actual situation is. Why is that? It's because everyone is incentivized to tell you that because then it makes the person that tells you that sound like they know something that you don't know. And why is that valuable to them? It's valuable because they will reach out, they might, you might reach out to them and say, hey, sounds like you know what you're talking about. Sounds like you only take contracts with companies that keep 10%, I wanna do that. Let me know what your recruiter's name is, right? And then they give you the information, and then you, if you take a contract to that recruiter, they get a referral bonus, right? Everyone is incentivized in this industry to tell you that you're being taken advantage of, and they have some secret that you just don't know about. And no one has that secret, I promise you. Uh, we've learned a lot, I promise you no one has that secret. So um, just remember that, if you go in these groups, you're going to get a lot of negative comments and negative feedback about any recruiter, or not any recruiter, but any company or any situation, and it's all because people are incentivized to say negative things so that you might contact them and uh, they might get a referral bonus for you, right? So keep that in mind. And also it's important to point out here that we're talking about that we're obviously also incentivized, right? Like we, we would get a referral bonus if you take a contract with one of our companies. Totally happy to give you that transparency. Yes. However, I will say that we've done a lot of work to compare dozens of companies and just try to send you guys to ones that we think that will work well for you. And to be honest, if you send us a message, which happens all the time, we have given people free mentorship after free mentorship after free mentorship, helped them, answered all their questions, and then they come back and they say, yeah, I took a contract, but not with one of your recruiters. And we're like, you know, I mean, we're happy for you. If you took a contract with some other recruiter that worked really well for you and it's your dream job and everything's great, we're happy for you. Like yeah. we provide a lot of services for free, but yeah, of course, if you end up taking a job with one of our recruiters, we would get a referral bonus, but we started Travel Therapy Mentor with the intent of educating you guys and mentoring you and giving you the tools to make good decisions and have a successful path as a traveler. Because when we started, there was nothing like this. This didn't yeah. exist. And, and not only that, we are incentivized obviously, but we, we get the same referral bonus as everyone else does and we get the same referral bonus from every company. So we are not incentivized to tell you to go with one company over another one. So keep that in mind, we have a much broader perspective than, than most travelers would have because we've talked to so many recruiters and companies and we are not incentivized to send people to one company over and another. And there's lots of companies we've talked to that we 
do we were like, okay, thanks. It was good to talk to you, but we won't work yeah. with you and we wouldn't send people your way. So yeah. we tried to pick some of the best ones, but all right. All right. Questions. questions. <laughs> um, has your contract ever been terminated short? Uh, we've actually been very fortunate in our time as travelers in, you know, seven years of multiple contracts. We've only ever had one contract cancellation. Um, and it was Whitney. It was mine. And the reason was before I ever started my start date, they hired a permanent employee to fill my place. And I was really lucky um, because a lot of times in that situation, they would have not let me ever start my contract because they've already filled the position, so they didn't need me. Um, but the facility was really nice. Jared was actually already working at that facility, and I think they really wanted to stay in our good graces, keep Jared there. So they let me go ahead and start and work my 30 days and then canceled me. And I had plenty of time at that point to figure out another option. So it does happen, um, but I've never had a contract canceled early, so it's not real common. You know, out of however many contracts we've taken combined, we've had one. So. You know, something something to consider, but not real common. Um, Ivan says my first two contracts have been terminated. I'm sorry to hear that. Um, yeah. Ivan, I'm curious, what is your discipline? Because recently we've heard that a lot more uh, assistance. assistance, PTAs and CODAs have had contracts canceled more so than PTs, OTs, and SLPs. And that's not like to say that PTs, OTs, and SLPs don't get canceled, but sometimes, unfortunately, um, one, there's less staffing need for assistance because there tend to be more assistance than there are jobs. Um, supply and demand is a little bit different for assistance, as well as if the um, if the census is low, they can usually get by with canceling an assistant, where they can't get by with canceling a therapist who needs to be doing the evaluations. Ivan says he's an OT, so that's a bummer. I think that's just bad luck. Yeah, I think sometimes that's just it bad happens. Luck. We we hate when like one of our one of the people that is in our course group or something like that, their very first contract, they get canceled. It's just bad luck. It, it's not very common. If you try to really also weed out the contracts where a cancellation might be possible. So I would say situations where it might be more likely than, um, than others would be a situation where they're already trying to hire someone and they just need you to fill in. So maybe they already have applicants and they might hire someone right away. Some situations where it might not be as common is say maternity leave where the person's unlikely to come back early or something like that. Mm -hmm. So there's some ways that you can kind of feel out a contract to see if it's likely that you might get canceled. Um, but you know, it's, it's really not common. Um, you could so. also ask in the interview if like someone just quit and it's like they just really need somebody and they act like they need somebody so urgently until they can find somebody new, but it might be likely they, they hire somebody pretty quickly. They just don't think they can get them there quick enough versus a like rural facility that they're like, nope, we've had a traveler here for two years. So it's like a revolving door of travelers. It's like, well, okay. Yeah. Um, they're probably going to need me, but. Okay, another question from Thomas. Oh, we just got another one. Um, a lot of questions, guys. What's the most valuable piece of advice that you would have for a new grad getting into travel therapy? I know you have plenty on this. I was just curious to hear from you. Yeah, Claudia, we have tons of resources about starting as a new grad, but I think our, our most valuable piece of advice would just be to do your research. Um, that and make sure that travel is something that fits you well as a new clinician because We've talked to a lot of clinicians now at like conferences and things that are new grads that think about traveling and you might ask some questions and they feel very uncertain either about their clinical skills or about the whole process of moving often or whatever. And, and we tell people like, hey, you might want to work permanent for a little while, build some confidence, make sure travel is going to be right for you. 
So I would say that's the big thing is make sure it's actually right for you as a person and as a clinician and that you're confident in your skills. And nobody can answer that for you. Yeah, um, there's so many people who it's like, you know, I'm used to moving around. All that stuff doesn't faze me. I felt really good at all my clinicals. I was like in and out of there. I knew the EMR better than the permanent staff by week three. If you're a go-getter and you're confident with moving around and your clinical skills and all that, it might be for you. If you're somebody who feels like you need a little more consistency for your first year of work, it might not be for you. Thomas says, do you ever have problems with guaranteeing 30-day cancellation clause? Um, it just depends. So every single contract is going to be different, and it's the facility who determines this. Now, quite often, they'll have like a standard 14-day clause, and we'll usually ask our recruiter and say, hey, can you go back to the facility and see if they would negotiate a 30-day clause? Because we would really appreciate having that additional protection in there. Sometimes they say yes, sometimes they say no. Yeah, and honestly, a lot of times 30-day cancellation notice is more important to us than pay is. So if there's a situation where there's a job that pays a little higher, that sounds good, and a job that has a 30-day notice clause that pays a little lower, we would probably rather have the certainty, um, especially since there's two of us, we'd want more time to find a new contract if it gets canceled. So um, that's important to us. It's important to some people. It just depends on your situation. Yeah, but a lot of contracts, um, especially in the age of COVID, aren't guaranteeing as much in terms of like hours and cancellation clause. So sometimes you just have to take what you get um, if it's a contract you really want. Yeah. Um, Brittany says, I appreciate you guys taking the time explaining all this. And Zamina says, thank you for the valuable information. And Thomas says, thanks for the actionable tips. You guys are welcome. So happy to bring this uh, resource to you guys. Okay, Amanda says, I see a lot of skilled nursing contracts for CODAs. Totally not for me. How do I search and find pediatrics? Um, one, once a placement is done, how can I secure a second placement with no lapse in time? Yeah, unfortunately for assistants, we do tend to see a lot of them are skilled nursing, but um, we do know certain companies that tend to staff more schools and pediatrics. And so I would make sure that you're getting connected with the right companies that work with schools and pediatrics to be able to secure those pediatric jobs. But you're definitely right for assistants. It is harder to come by. We do see most of them in SNF. Yeah. And with that being said, um, for CODA, especially right now, the job market, is, it's, the, it's the most tight for CODAs from, for any discipline. So it is really hard to find back-to-back -back pediatric contracts unless you find a school that you're gonna stay at for nine months and then maybe take a few months off and then start the next school year. You might be able to do that, but it's gonna be hard as a coder to find back-to-back -back pediatric contracts. Yeah. yeah, I think schools are gonna be your best bet in terms of job security. Um, I do think it's gonna be harder to line up like any kind of pediatric clinic. So yeah. we really encourage, unfortunately, if we had to, like when we ask our um, companies that we work with, How's the job market for each discipline? They'll tell us the number of total jobs open in the entire country for each discipline. Right now, that ranking looks like physical therapist, speech language pathologist, occupational therapist, and then way down below that, PTA, and then below that, CODA. So yeah. unfortunately, CODA has the most limited number of jobs in the entire country, which means that if you wanna travel as a CODA, you really need to be the most flexible on both setting and location. Um, so I think in your case, schools are really going to be your best bet to try to get some security, um, job security, back to back. But um, I would really be flexible in states if you can. Yeah. So Ivan earlier asked, um, how do you deal with contracts being terminated earlier than expected? Is it normal? It's not normal. The way you deal with it, ideally you have a 30-day notice. If you don't have that either way, um, what you're trying to do is either find another job in the area, a, another travel job that could take you... Um, so that you don't have to change your housing. That's the big thing. Most people are locked in at least month to month for housing. So you want to try to, first of all, your first line of defense is try to find something close by 
Uh, if you can't find anything for travel, maybe look at PRN just so you don't lose out on housing costs. Um, if you can't find anything like that, then you know talk to the landlord, see if you can get out of your, your uh, lease, whatever it is, if it's month to month, when does it end? and start looking for other jobs and try to find something obviously before uh, your contract ends. Um, so you don't wanna be in a position where you're, you get the notice, your contract ends, and then you don't have anything, you don't know where to go, should you go back home? Um, maybe your next job is the opposite direction. So you know, try to find something and, and that goes back to working with multiple recruiters, yeah. especially in that situation because it is time sensitive. So mm -hmm. try to have a lot of recruiters looking on your behalf. Absolutely, all right. See other questions that we got here, guys. Thank you for all the engagement. Feel free to ask any other questions. Um, Danique wants to know: Can your recruiter help with your placement if you have additional specialty certification? For example, if you had like your NCS or LIMP uh, certification. So yeah. they can they can help you find contracts that might fit that certification. Um, in terms of whether or not the facility will pay more for you having, you know, a lot of people are asking that: If I have a certification, will I get paid more? It all depends. If the facility really wants you there, they might pay more for you. If it's a facility that has a bunch of applicants, they may be like, well, you know, it's nice that you have that, but we can take this person and pay them $5 an hour less, we might take them. So it all depends on the facility. The recruiter can definitely help you try to find some facilities that might um, be more likely to want to have you there as a specialty trained uh, clinician, but you know, it all depends on the facility. Yeah, but just let your recruiter know, like, I have this, it, will that help me? Or is there a certain job that lists this in the criteria? A lot of jobs are really very general. It might just be like general acute or general outpatient, but there could be some where they're like, oh yeah, you know, I did just see this job come across my desk that was specifically asking for like a lymphedema certified therapist or a hand therapist or, or a women's health specialty therapist. So they might be able to point you in the right direction. Megan says, y'all are really clearing up so much for me. I prefer guaranteed hours and consistent pay each week. I really don't care how much they, how they get there. Yeah. Um, yeah, and that's a perfect example right there, Megan, of every traveler has different priorities. Um, and some travelers don't really care about all this behind the scenes stuff. Obviously we went into really great detail for those of you guys that do care and do want to learn more, but I really think for a lot of travelers, none of the, a lot of this stuff doesn't matter. Like as long as you feel that you're getting good compensation, you're getting the contracts that you want, a lot of travelers just don't care about all this behind the scenes stuff. Um, Brittany says, do you have a favorite company that you've worked with as far as recruiters go? Um, I wouldn't say that we have a favorite. Uh, we probably have a handful that we prefer to take contracts through, but like I said, we have about a dozen that we send people to that we like. We've interviewed probably close to 20, 20 to 24 now, and some of them we don't like. We don't send people to, we don't work with. Some we really like, and they're kind of like our go-to, but we don't have one, I would say, that we, we prefer over all the other ones. And uh, the other thing is, as far as recruiters go, you know, there's good recruiters at every company and there's bad recruiters at every company. So you just have to make sure that you're working with a company that has a pretty good reputation and also a recruiter that's, that's held in high regard um, by other travelers. Bishoy says, you guys are amazing. Thank you, we appreciate it. We definitely try our best to give you guys good information. All right, let's see if we got any more questions. Okay, and then I think we're back to the beginning where everybody was introducing themselves. Um, if you guys have any more questions. Oh wait, I think Allie has a question. I don't know if it's a question or a statement. I'm in a bit of a unique situation. I do not have a tax home, so I travel as a local therapist. My entire page is fully taxed. 
I know the company has to pay extra taxes on me, but is there any way to calculate my approximate pay fully taxed from a job that posts the take-home pay with stipends? That's a good question, Allie. Um, um, there's, there's not a great way to do it um, because you know take-home pay is always factoring in that your taxable pay is pretty low, so your taxes on that is not nearly as high as it would be if it's a fully taxed position. Uh, but I would say that, I mean, obviously, you already know this, but the, the higher the weekly take-home pay is, the higher the gross pay is going to be if you take that at a fully taxed position. But, you know, mostly you just have to contact the recruiter, see what they can pay you for that. There are some situations where they can pay a little bit more if you're taking it fully taxed. Um, then, you know, they're, they're basically just calculating a percentage of what they need to keep based on all the factors that we, we talked about. And there are situations where they might take a little bit less if it's fully taxed because they might take, pay more taxes on your behalf in terms of um, those payroll taxes that we talked about. So there's not really a great way to do it. It's going to vary from contract to contract, from company to company. But you know, you kind of have to contact the recruiter and ask them what they could pay for that, and say, you know, I see the gross pay or the take-home pay here, but I'm taking it fully taxed. What would it be? Yeah, and I know that's harder if you're just trying to like glance at job boards and things yeah. like that. Now, if you do see one posted that lists it as a breakdown, like the hourly plus the stipend, you could run like a, a more rough calculation there because you could run the hourly and the stipend as a gross like amount and just try to figure out what your hourly might be there um, as a fully taxed. I think your best bet is just to contact the recruiter. Yeah. But again, if you're just comparing jobs in general, like maybe if you've learned before a pay package that pays about this, when I asked a recruiter before how much it would have been, it was roughly this. So then you can get like an idea if you see a job posted for 1500 versus 2000 you get a rough idea of like what ballpark you might be in but yeah you're definitely in a more unique situation Allie by the way Allie did you make it back to the states yet I think she's in San Antonio for the OT conference oh sweet Ivan says will you guys ever go back to full-time and he put a smiley face with a tear and I think that was no, the correct emoji it's not a tear that's a sweating well sweating tear I don't know let's no, vote no, on what we think no, we Ivan's emoji is Either way, in my mind, the emoji is that he's like crying, laughing because he thinks it's sarcasm, which it is. Um. We've never taken full-time jobs and we will never take full-time no. jobs. It, well, I mean, when we settle down, we'll probably work PRN or something like that. It's just, we've, uh, I think, I tell people that sometimes half joking, half not joking, but once you travel for a while, you're kind of ruined from full-time jobs because it's really hard to settle down in one place, deal with all the workplace drama, deal with less pay, all the things that perm therapists have to deal with um, once you've kind of traveled. So, and we've le we've learned how to deal with like the insurance stuff and all that. So I don't think that's as big of a like scary concern for us. A lot of people are like, "Well, I'd have to take a permanent job because oh, insurance." And I'm like, "It's not that big of a deal. We've already had private insurance before." So, um, and then just financially, we've been able to put ourselves in such a good financial position from traveling that we won't need to have a full time job when we move back home and maybe settle down a little bit more stationary I think we will still want that flexibility and less work hours of PRN. Ivan also said uh, do you travel only in the US or international as well we only work in the US we travel internationally for fun but we'll never work internationally um, there's a variety of reasons for that we've we made videos on that too but um, I think for most people it doesn't make sense to work internationally as a traveler it makes sense to save money in the US, work, take these high paying contracts, make a lot of money, save it, and then travel for fun on your own. I'm gonna have to Google what that emoji is because I use it as it's a, a crap. Well, well, why would he use it then? Okay. I think he was laughing. Um, anyway, 
All right, guys, I think we've made it through all the questions. Um, if you have additional questions, feel free to put them in the comments or you can send us a private message. Um, we're gonna put in a link in the comments to the article. We also recently shared it on our Facebook and Instagram pages so you guys can find it there. Um, if you guys are looking to get in touch with some recruiters that we recommend, you can go on our website at traveltherapymentor.com slash recruiters, or just click on the top of our website under recruiter recommendations. You can fill out that form. We'll take into account all of your different preferences, the places and the settings that you might like to go, what's important to you, and we'll give you some recommendations so that you have an opportunity to contact those recruiters, talk to them on the phone, work with them for a couple job searches just to see if they are a good fit for you or not. Um, Thank you guys for watching. If you got value out of this, we would love if you'd leave it a thumbs up, share it with a friend, tag a friend. Yeah, and for anyone wondering about that form, Whitney looks at every single one of those forms. So Whitney does all of that work behind the scenes. Uh, we got uh, over 2,000 of those just in 2021, those forms. So she looks at every one of those and matches them with recruiters and companies that she thinks will work well. So um, yeah. that is none of that is automated. That We're is, not tech savvy enough over here at Travel Therapy Mentor yet to have any automation. Um, I do copy and paste a little bit of the wording, you know, just to save myself a few minutes. But I definitely read every yeah. single one so of your forms. So it's all personalized. And I, I take into account every single one of your personal situations, and then I hand pick which recruiters I would like to connect you with. So, yep. Just so you know. All right, guys, hopefully that was helpful. Um, just keep in mind all the future people that send us messages about bill rates and how much the company keeps. Now we can send them to this video and they can be as confused as you are right now. And so. if you're one of those people in the future times that is like, dang it, they just sent me this link. Yep, here you are. Yep. We sent you the link so that you could learn this. And we hope that it helps to humble all you guys into the nuance that goes into the travel staffing world. And hopefully you're not being taken advantage of um, you know, hopefully you see the value that the travel company is providing and hopefully you have gotten connected with a recruiter and staffing company that's been recommended to you so you can at least mitigate some of that risk of being taken advantage of. Yeah, and, and this, this topic, like everything in life, once you learn enough about a certain topic, nothing is black and white, everything is gray. Just all like depends. all you expert healthcare travelers out there, as you get into your field of healthcare and you have a patient that wants a black and white answer, they're like, what it's about this thing? You're like, it depends. Yeah. <laughs> So, all right, guys, thanks for watching. Hope this is helpful. All right, take care, guys. Bye.